So five supplements, nothing to do with testosterone, but just in all all around hormone optimization. So as your if you make your body more efficient by being healthier, your testosterone goes up, your thyroid is better, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. So I look at it now from the standpoint of make your body as efficient as possible, and it, it's then everything's going to be performing optimally. Welcome to the Zero Quit Podcast, where I bring you candid conversations with elite athletes, entrepreneurs, specialists, and other creatives. I'm your host, Brock Covington, and through these dialogues, you will hear powerful stories and practical advice that will help you live a more active and intentional life. If you enjoy the show, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to today's podcast. Today, we are back. Round two, Mr. Pete Rubish. He is an athlete, coach, entrepreneur, strong as shit. I gave the whole spiel about him in the last episode so go check out that one first if you need to but 920 pound deadlift all that jazz owns a great gym with his wife in tennessee how are you doing pretty well yeah i wish i could still hit those numbers but it's all good it's a little lighter now (laughs) it's yeah well it's it's you know i feel like powerlifting numbers and some in accolades as a whole they're almost that like as long as you've done it once you can still refer back to it on the resume you know like even when you hit 920 like are you gonna hit 920 every single day at every single point of the day like no there's like an optimum time at an optimal weight right so it's it's tough like that so you can almost uh cherish the moments kind of like when i pulled my my best lift was 500 pound deadlift beltless that i did um when i was uh i was probably like 190 192 and uh, I still, if people ask me, like, what was my peak deadlift? I'm like, 500, man. I can't do it now, but 500. Well, I got to ask you because I'm curious now. So, obviously, running is more of an emphasis for you now. You're 175 pounds. What are your lifts mm-hmm. at, if you're being brutally honest? Because mine, if, if I'm being honest, by comparison, mm-hmm. are much lower, which is understandable when running's the focus. But what are you at? Well, I actually, when I first started running, I that was actually around the time I pulled the 500, but I wasn't running that much. So I pulled the 500. It was like March 2021, so a little bit over two years ago, and I was maybe running for like six months at that point. I'm guessing my normal weekly mileage was like 18 okay. miles, like a 10-mile long run, like at best. Um, so it wasn't – actually, you know, I had touched like 16 miles before, but it wasn't – it wasn't like that that serious um nowadays uh a couple things like one i haven't deadlifted as much since moving primarily because my garage that i lift in is very sloped and i could try and build a platform or i bought these like i think they're called shims or shivs from like rogue that uh you know kind of correct for it but it it it's just a hassle to try and fight the floor and even it out and it's not a major difference to where it's really bothering me. I mainly just need something to kind of stop the weight from rolling after I do the uh, reps. But I just noticed like way more often than I ever had issues with it. Like my lower back some days is just like not feeling it. Like not even on heavyweight, like just warming up. It feels tight. It feels like something's weird with my positioning. And when I watch videos, I notice that I'm leaning more on my forefoot than my heel I think in anticipation of not trying to lean back into the slope. So anyway, long story short, I don't deadlift as much. Although when I do, I can still kind of rip like four or five uh, for maybe I could rip it definitely for one, maybe like two. It just seems like one of those foundational strength elements that as long as I'm lifting consistently, it just doesn't go away. So realistically, deadlift maybe like 405, 425 I could rip right now. Bench has actually been strongest it's ever been. Definitely once there's 275, maybe 285. I'd like to, I think, if I do a lean bulk into the end of the year, I can get 315. I'm hopeful. And then squat is another weird one where with running and so forth, I never have issues with the squat. But just lately, again, I don't know if it's the garage or what, it's like my quad either gets like weirdly tight on the outside, like IT band area, but it's not the same leg that I've had IT band issues before. And it's weird. And then, uh, or sometimes my lower back is just way tighter than it should be. So I haven't consistently squatting either, but let's say like a 285, 295 squat right now. So the numbers are down, but the lower body numbers are down more than they should be because I just haven't been training them as much. But my bench is actually up, but that's upper body. Well, how, how tall are you, and roughly how many miles a week are you going? Are you running? 
I'm 5'10", and I'll say like my numbers are about the same when I was training for my 50 miler. So at the 50, I was running like uh, I, I would touch like just under 50 miles a week, but more so the hours. I think I was like close to like nine hours a week training because time on feet with trails and so forth. Um, right now, I'm kind of averaging like 21, 22 miles per week. I'm kind of chilling well, out a little bit. It's understandable coming fresh off the 50, but... No, I mean, those are those are really respectable yeah. numbers. I think the thing is, you know, with running being an emphasis, especially the lower body lifts, they take a big hit. I've noticed that. Um, but I've noticed, too, that even just a little bit of squatting helps a lot on stuff like hills. makes a huge difference. So it doesn't have to be crazy yeah. weight. Just doing it at all. I've been doing sets of 10. No. And that's well, helped a lot. You primarily do uh, split squats, well, right? Or do you do uh, regular squats? I was too? doing it. I, it goes back and forth. Like I was doing split squats for a while, and now I'm doing back. I'm going back to regular squats. And I've just been doing like three sets of yeah. 10 paused, and that's helped a lot. Like big difference on the hills. Mm. Really? Yeah, I, I'd never, I mean, granted, I don't do a ton. See, I say I don't do a ton of hill work. I don't do a ton of direct hill work. I definitely run into hills all the time on trails. And I'll say, like, obviously the best thing is specificity. So just doing them more often, you get better at them. And there's almost little cues that I've picked up from people that can help you, like, keeping your almost like a, uh, you know, it's like a, it's a really shitty cue for deadlifts or squats. But, um, you know, people teaching, like, football keeping your chest up when you're squatting so you don't you know fall forward and so forth which could lead to other other issues not really the best positioning but almost with running up a hill too like just keeping your your gaze and your body upward rather than down i think helps a little bit but as far as exercises yeah i I definitely implement you know bulgarians are a staple i've been getting back into like walking lunges although like my garage i kind of just have to go back and forth a few extra times um I really like reverse lunges are really good too. I, I honestly don't even do as much to strengthen my performance for running. I do it more so to prevent injury and to stay healthy. And I find that the more unilateral work I do, the more like linear work where I can really focus on the eccentric and stability that I really am a lot stronger in these positions and my strides because my glute and quads and everything are keeping everything in line. Oh, that makes sense. I mean, there's different reasons to- for the strength training but and i know at the end of the day we just love lifting weights too that's a big part of it um so it's kind of it's kind of i'm at an interesting point where i'm trying to learn how to integrate both like do the running with the lifting and it's it's definitely a bit tougher than just lifting i you know i i had a run with a guy this uh yeah i had had a run with a guy i'd never met before messaged me on instagram lives up in denver so we ran today and he was kind of we he was asking what i do how i balance it and he was asking how he or I asked how he balanced it, and um, I think the the biggest challenge all of us run into is time management. You know, like where do you, because, you know, you can run so many hours, but then you're also trying to like lift too, and lifting is like the foundational. I know for you as much as it is me, where it's like, this is what we've always done. This is what grounds us. This is what we're really comfortable with. You know, and um, so that's not going away. So all we can do is add on top of that. And so time management's hard, but I think it really is just finding the right balance for you. And a lot of times, a less is more approach, you know, I think uh, one athlete in the UK, Fergus Crawley, he's, he's like made posts about this where, especially with trying to maintain strength, you don't need a shit ton of volume. And you already do this a lot. You know, you keep the volume pretty simple. Just keep the intensity and the heavy sets, the working sets there, cut out too much kind of filler or uh, I, f- I feel like I've uh, John Meadows used to use a term, but just kind of like wasted volume or extra volume excess. Uh, And yeah, just kind of less is more approach, you know, because you don't need to obviously run 100 miles a week to run a 100 mile race or, you know, I'm I'm rambling, but does that make sense? Yeah, no, I think that makes perfect sense because I've tried to dial it into where the lifting is very efficient. It's like 45 minutes to an hour tops and then, you know, get in and get out, pick a couple exercises. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the key. Or maybe do even like one or two exercises per day lifting-wise. And that's the most efficient way to kind of integrate them both where you're not Mm -hmm. spending forever, you know. Because I'd say most days my runs take, you know, 45 minutes to an hour. And then there's like the long run once a week. But I try to be as efficient as possible. And I talked about this where it's like when my daughter goes to sleep, so she's 15 months old, we put her down for a nap. 
she'll be asleep for like four hours and that's when i try to get the run in Mm -hmm. just maximizing time yeah so what is your current mileage are you on a you're at a point where you're just slowly kind of ramping up or you know do you have essentially deloads where you're dropping the volume back down it's consistently about 40 miles a week now i'm not ramping it up at all um just yeah because the, the the main goal race coming up is the half marathon and that's november 10th so i still have quite a while to go to train for mm-hmm. that it's more of like a speed goal so the mileage isn't necessarily going up but the paces are, are kind of ramping up slowly as far as the tempo runs and maybe even the long runs so the mileage has stayed the same it's pretty much the same layout six days a week but i'm trying to build the speed up to get to that sub 140 which is the 737 pace goal um just a little under that that'd be that'd be the goal and mm-hmm. then after that i'll kind of go into marathon prep and that's when mileage i'm sure will go up uh make another jump so just taking it in stride the marathon's not till april yeah yeah well 40 miles a week is plenty i think for a half and even for a marathon i don't think you need to add like too much to uh to volume yeah too much volume to do that um, while we're on the lifting topic, before we transition to other things, I, I did have a couple questions I was going to ask or topics, basically. With this transition for both of us towards, you know, I don't know, for me, it's like 50-50, but definitely for you, you have an emphasis on running. I wonder how you view strength right now, because as we kind of talked about early in the podcast, we've all had these different past uh, achievements and these past PRs to where right now maintenance is almost very much a a kind of maintenance status for us it's kind of like we're going in there but we don't have specific lifting goals so i guess how do you what is your perspective towards your lifts nowadays because i know for me personally if someone asks me it's like yeah i don't really have any like driving goals for my workouts but i still kind of go in there and have a blast i never think about not doing i think the thing is i know the numbers aren't going to be quite what they used to be obviously having lost a bunch of weight being off peds all that kind of stuff but i still try to come up with Mm -hmm. somewhat of a goal to to kind of excite me as far as the training so like for deadlift the 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 goal i don't know how attainable this is but a 700 pound deadlift at you know 200 pounds body weight um Mm-hmm. that you know I've, I've gotten to 633 recently i think so it's like it's it's in the realm but that's kind of an exciting goal it's still far under mm-hmm. what i've done but th- that, that gets me excited and then bench 350 that's t- kind of the goal as well so right now it's at 323 mm-hmm. so it's like i still have the goal like a strength goal that kind yeah. of uh gets me amped yeah. for training but it's it's a little tougher to get to when you're putting in that kind of mileage and you're keeping your weight lower and all that sort of stuff. So I still kind of lean into that where I'm like, I'm always setting a weight goal. So for you, maybe it'd be like, okay, I'm going to get back to 455 deadlift first, take it from there. The 315 bench goal, those are awesome goals. And I think it helps Mm -hmm. to have that, but it might be a slower progression. That's kind of the main thing. Yeah. So it's almost like, so do you try and kind of erase the expectations of what you've previously done and just say hey at this age at this body weight at this circumstance this is what i'm kind of working towards kind of almost uh shorten your your time span of of, of what you've yeah kind of erase some of the oh history. yeah you nailed it because that's the thing you have to look at it under the the current circumstances it's like i'm way way healthier than i was when i was hitting the the crazy numbers I'm much lighter. I'm about 50 pounds lighter body weight. Yeah. So I look at it all like it's a new personal record. It's a new PR. So it's 700 at 200 pounds body weight, mm-hmm. being this healthy, doing this much running, that's completely different than 920 at 250 when I'm, you know, in a completely unhealthy state taking steroids. So I just look at it all like it's a different context, different point yeah. in life, and that's okay. But it still gets me excited. Like I would be so psyched if I pulled 700. Mm-hmm. I would go crazy. Because it's in this context now, being almost 32 years old yeah. and being 50 pounds lighter and, and off everything, like, different ballgame. Yeah, it's a, I guess it's acknowledging the different factors going on there and, and kind of still being able to appreciate, yeah, what your what your body can do at this point. Um, another thing I, I kind of get your perspective quickly on is more from the bodybuilding standpoint, but it, it can also apply to powerlifting is I kind of go with the mindset of how can I make lightweight 
as stimulating or as heavy as possible and kind of focus on the intensity of it. So for example, you know, I, I could go and, and, and chase, let's say a crazy squat goal. Let's say I was going to chase like 600 pounds or something like that. The beat down on my joints as, as thrilling as the experience of, of squatting 600 could be, it's not really that worth it. Or here's, here's a better example. I could squat 600 knees wrapped belt on, or I could just squat like four or five, uh, no belt, no wraps, uh, just raw in that sense. And I feel like I'd rather be strong at the four or five because because at that point you're just inflating ego rather than chasing a stimulus for your body. Does that make sense? I'm trying to articulate the point of making lightweight heavy and still getting like most of the same oh, benefits. I get it because you know with most of my training I'll still throw a belt in just because I've had the back issue. So once it gets heavy enough, I throw the belt in on squat and deadlift. Yeah. But I'm with you where I used to use knee sleeves all the time and now. I don't even think twice about using them. Now, you mm -hmm. could make the argument, okay, well, you're using straps. And my whole thing with that is I don't care what my grip strength is at anymore. I just want to hit, hit my, my back. Yeah. Yeah. So training, right? I think I get what you're saying where that I would, yeah. you know, you'd rather take that like 405 squat with nothing because it's like that's solely what you can do without any help. Um, so I'm kind of in that same boat. But the one thing I'm like, I'll still use a belt. The belt, I don't mind. I throw that mm -hmm. in, you know, if I'm going to push it, especially. But, I get to where you can take light weight and still maximize things. I mean, my squats aren't crazy at all anymore. There's more of an emphasis on deadlift, but you can still get it. Isolate your quads mm -hmm. and get a heck of a workout with lighter weight on squat. I, yeah, I guess what I'm pointing at is like, you're not going to get the same exact benefit and you're definitely not going to tax your CNS in the same way that you do with a heavier load, but like just controlling especially when it comes to physique or general uh, strength and the benefits uh, that lifting can provide, I feel like you can get a lot of that from just making, you know, adding in volume or slowing eccentrics and, you know, just making lightweight heavier, you know, doing banded stuff, right? Instead of adding on more plates, just adding bands and so forth. And you can reduce some of the joint pain or, or potential or risk, potential risk of injury by just making it harder beyond just increasing the the actual weightage yeah i think you can mix up the stimulus and there's there's different approaches it's honestly what you enjoy the most so for me i i just straight weight yeah. you know stick to the one to two exercises per session kind of thing now to be time efficient um but like i still mm. like ramping up it just isn't something that's always practical because that does lead to injury like i tweaked my back trying 650 on deadlift about five weeks ago so I still like to do it from time to time just mm -hmm. to kind of test the waters because that's my roots. But I, I, I don't think that's necessary, especially if you're like an endurance athlete. I think any type of strength training at all is where the benefit is. So I think the mistake endurance athletes make is, you know, they think they have to do things a certain way. But it's like anything at all is going to be way more beneficial and puts you ahead of everyone else. It doesn't have to be, you know, anything mm -hmm. crazy. Like Jeff Browning, who he's a pretty, you know, pretty experienced ultra runner has won a bunch of hundreds mm -hmm. he i'm sure he's not lifting like crazy heavy weight but the fact that he's doing it at all offers him an advantage mm -hmm. so i wouldn't overthink it even i just yeah. be like just do something anything and that's going to be something that gives you a leg up on everybody else mm -hmm. so let, let's dig into what we, what we were unable to on the last podcast which is Hormone therapy, anabolic steroids, all the uh, the fun talk stuff. So, I think the best way to kind of kick off this segment is is talking a little bit about your current physique, where you came from, how your body has changed. I think you referenced you've lost like fifty pounds. So, I guess tell us a little bit about you know what what was that peak body weight like and and where you yes. Yeah, so the peak body weight, heaviest I've ever, ever been was uh, two hundred sixty two pounds. That's the heaviest I've been in my life. That was. You know, full-on PED use that was on tons of anabolic steroids, um, which are just part of powerlifting. It's it's not a taboo subject in powerlifting. Mm -hmm. It's what everybody does. It's accepted. Yeah. Uh, the, the competitions I did were not drug-tested, so it wasn't like it was cheating. And that was just part of the game, similar to strongman. When you look at strongman, you look at, like, Thor Bjornsson, Brian Shaw yeah. from your area. <laughs> no one wants to watch no. natural strongman. You want to see the biggest lift, so, like, 
those guys are all on anabolic steroids. This yeah. is part of the game. No one questions it. Uh, so that was that was what I did, and I got up to like I said, two hundred sixty-two pounds was my peak. I competed at two hundred forty-two pounds. So I'd have sometimes crazy weight cuts of twenty pounds in a week, um, where you'd be on like your deathbed at the end. You're just completely wiped out from this crazy mm-hmm. weight cut. But it was uh, full on use of of everything: testosterone dosages of upwards of uh, fifteen hundred milligrams towards the end of a meat prep. Well, you know, one and a half grams, which is a, a super high amount of testosterone. It, you know, my testosterone level now, being off everything for two and a half mm-hmm. years, drug free not even on TRT, it's at about 500 nanograms per deciliter. That was the last lab test. But back then, it was at like 3,000 plus. So think about that. Six times higher yeah. test level. What is that? I got to ask, pause you on that. What does it feel like to be that just revved it, up? The testosterone itself the is good not and bad. a crazy feeling. <laughs> so even having a, a super high test level, yeah. it's not what you think, but what you're thinking like, the thought of being that invincibility that comes from trend so trend yeah I any dose that, of yeah. trend like it could be 200 milligrams a week made me feel <laughs> that superhuman effect where i felt um invincible aggressive crazy strength that all came from trend that's more so what i think is like that pronounced effect of invincibility but trend also destroys mm-hmm. your cardio tons of side effects uh mentally i could i couldn't handle it so yeah. i ran it but it was it would ruin my life you know Mm-hmm. What was, I guess, the attitude with, because, so you mentioned trend, but with a lot of these, obviously, there are pretty brutal side effects. You have a pretty viral video kind of just showcasing, I think, some of those. And I guess, where is your mindset at this point? Maybe it's a little, like, naivete, but thinking, like, hey, this is ruining my life, yet this performance, this meat coming up, is so vastly important that I'm willing to feel like shit during the entire day, except for this two hour. That was session. exactly how it was. I couldn't have summed it up better. Cause that's how it was. Your training in the gym was awesome. <laughs> I mean, you're throwing around 800 pounds for reps on deadlift. Like it's not even anything. And then that feeling throwing up 200 pound dumbbells on dumbbell yeah. bench, like weights that I can't fathom now. Yeah. And the, the thrill of yeah, that. It's feeling. an incredible feeling, but the yeah. problem is you get outside of the gym and you don't feel good. I mean, you feel like, like a, a superhuman character almost, but the sleep apnea was awful. I couldn't, mm-hmm. you know, I couldn't get quality sleep. I'd be exhausted all day, high blood pressure, um, headaches towards the end of meat prep from like oral steroids, liver toxicity issues. So you know mm-hmm. you're not in a healthy state with this crazy high blood pressure and all that. And it, it just it's one of those things you accepted at the time because you would do anything to get to your goal. That's how it was. Like my life was lifting. It was powerlifting, mm-hmm. achieving the, the highest numbers possible. So I would do whatever it took to get there. And that uh, you throw your health to the side. But the problem is now, especially mm-hmm. in the last few years, I've seen so many of my peers die. I've seen so many people my age die. And another one since exactly. we did the podcast. That was uh, the guy Joe Aesthetics, who I didn't really know much about him. Eight million yeah. followers. Some people, yeah, some people, you know, I, I guess because the video went around, like, are, are wondering if it was related to uh, the jab and vaccine because it was something to do with like an aneurysm and, and blood clotting. But, but either way, though, still, but, overall, there's a lot of people well, passed away. I even know people who didn't get the jab and still died, and like people before all that happened who died. Yeah. So you see the bodies like stacking of up, course, and you're yeah. like, Maybe I shouldn't be taking steroids and I need to change my lifestyle. And what really was the catalyst for that was just mm-hmm. my wife being like, okay, if we're going to have a kid, let's do it now. Come off everything. So I came off everything to have a kid. Seven months later, you know, she was pregnant. So it took mm-hmm. about seven months after coming off everything, including testosterone. And then I was just like, I'll just stay off. Did you need to come off to, as I say, did you need to have come off to have a kid? Because I know some people have stayed on and had kids. Like, what was your what was the reason I mean, for that? It can happen where people have a kid on cycle because it doesn't. You know, all it takes is like one sperm cell. But it's it's very unlikely. The chances are low, especially yeah. after I'd been on for nine years. So I basically had no fertility. I mean, mm-hmm. you can check your luteinizing hormone and follicle stimulating hormone on a blood panel, and if you're on anabolic steroids, they're going to be nothing. They're going to be non-existent. So you want to get those back up and mm-hmm. rebounded. 
So I had to come off, kind of wait for my body to rebound and get to a point where it was possible to happen. And then uh, seven months later, we, we made it mm-hmm. happen. And I just chose to stay off after that for health reasons and the implications of like, I don't want to be this irresponsible father who's got a, a, a newborn and I'm taking a bunch of anabolic steroids and I, you know, being mm-hmm. reckless with my health. Like you need to be around for your family. So why would I stay on that stuff? Yeah. I didn't want to be selfish with that. Yeah, so you reference blood Yeah, so you reference blood work when you were running massive cycles when you were on uh, you know, for nine years, were you doing blood work at all? Was it, you know, somewhat inconsistent? It was inconsistent. I didn't do it very often. I do have like one or two panels from the time. Um, where you can see like lipids, cholesterol, mm-hmm. that sort of thing is very elevated. Liver enzymes are very elevated, kidney functions, things like that, because your body is under stress. Uh, the other thing, so like as a runner, endurance athlete, we would benefit from a much higher red blood cell count. So if we had higher red blood cells, higher hematocrit, you're yeah. able to process oxygen much more efficiently. It's almost the same effect of being at altitude, but amplified even further. So as, as far as that goes, that's where testosterone would be beneficial to like an endurance athlete. Um, and where it would be considered somewhat cheating mm-hmm. because it would raise your, raise your red blood cells to a much greater effect than even being at altitude. Uh, but other than that, it, it wasn't, you know, there weren't necessarily, it wasn't the healthiest. Testosterone itself is not awful in, in moderation, but the problem is people will say they're on TRT and it'll be a yeah. very high dose. Yeah, yeah, there is that. Yeah, for some people, yeah, they're like, oh, I'm on TRT, and you, you assume they're just getting taking it to get into like the normal level but then they're at like 300 yeah uh, yeah they're at uh, yeah, 1300 level and you're like damn um so i, I want to ask because you specifically you're an interesting case because not only have you come off from these you know extreme cycles but you don't currently take your routine you've actually boosted your your natural levels back to a, a healthier range so how did you actually uh, achieve that it took a lot of time so I mean, a large part of it was simply waiting things out. It took about two years for things to kind of get back to a normal point. And now it's been two and a half years. So I got extensive blood testing done. I probably got like 12 panels done over the last two and a half years. And it sat for a long time in that 300 range, even lower. I think it was 90 days after I came off, my testosterone level was 38. 38 nanograms per deciliter, Mm -hmm. which is a female level. Like, I couldn't even train. I would go in the gym, do one set, and be so sore. Like, my body would just be so sore from one set that I had to Mm. stop because I have a female test level of 38. Now I'm at 500. So it's almost like I had to wait for my body Mm. to get that, you know, to stabilize again and kind of bounce back. Because your body's resilient. It can bounce back. But most people aren't willing to wait that long. But that's been the real key. Ah, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So I guess most people are just are just yeah, they're too impatient. They know what they used to feel like, and they just want to get back to well, it. What I, other you, you yeah, lose all your strength too? You come off and like you see these, the crazy strength level you were at. It goes from here down to like here. Like you lose it all, and your physique starts to deteriorate, and you mm-hmm. start getting in your head about it. And now my physique's bounced back pretty well, but it's definitely not what it was. I mean, my neck is way smaller, my shoulders, my traps. <laughs> are way smaller you can go look at old pictures it's not even close you know i'm 200 pounds Tree i'm not neck, I, I used yeah. to walk around at 250 <laughs> now i'm 200 pounds it's it's a different ball game so mm-hmm. that's tough on people yeah what what so you you don't have to get like crazy with it but you know you mentioned some of those initial symptoms i guess coming off test um what other, I guess, were you experiencing, I guess, low energy, possibly low libido and so forth? And did you look into any of those that are more popular now because of various podcasts, but like Tonkat, Ali, and all those different kind of natural, I guess, ingredients and supplements? Did you look at those at all? Or have you just basically gotten back to giving your body time, healthy foods and so forth? Yeah, so Brock, it wasn't just low libido coming off. It was no libido coming off. There was nothing. I could like nothing there was none just just not even it's it's not the function so it's not the functionality of it it's it's the desire there's nothing so like yeah i could yeah so like i could function right but it wasn't like i want like there was nothing i just was like 
I have no desire for anything. So that lasted for a full yeah. year. And now it's back to, everything's back to normal. But like, the libido was non-existent. Um, and then it, I did dabble mm-hmm. in all that stuff. I've tried everything. Like I've tried Boron, Tonkat Ali, Fadoja, Grestis. Um, I did, yeah. Ashwagandha I'm not crazy about because it messes with your dopamine receptors. But they all mm-hmm. didn't help. I mean, they helped a smidge. They might have bumped my testosterone levels like 100 points. But it wasn't this massive difference. So I've, I've kind of played around with those things. Mm-hmm. I didn't see like a super dramatic difference from the natural herbal testosterone boosters. Uh, but overall, what has mm-hmm. rebounded my hormones the best has been losing body fat, getting healthier overall. The running, I feel like, mm-hmm. has made a tremendous difference. And then also switching from tap water to, a, you know, putting a reverse osmosis water filter on my water and filtering the water. Mm-hmm. I feel like all those are what has made the most difference. I'm like... Body fat, I'm probably single digits right now. I'm very confident saying that. So that's helped. Doing all the cardio has helped because your body's just much more efficient. Mm-hmm. And then supplementation-wise, I don't even take test boosters now. All I take is uh, vitamin B complex, vitamin C, vitamin D, vitamin K, and iron. That's it. So five supplements, mm-hmm. nothing to do with testosterone, but just in all-around all hormone optimization. So as you're, if you make your body more efficient by being healthier... Your testosterone goes up. Your thyroid is better. All this stuff. Mm-hmm. So I look at it now from the standpoint of make your body as efficient as possible, and it's then everything's going to be performing optimally. Yeah, it's it, people are so quick to just want to grab like a miracle supplement and mask over their uh, obesity or mask over their poor sleep or lack of exercise or whatever it is that's probably the cause of their low T. Like you aren't naturally having low T in your 20s most likely. It's it's much more likely that is your behaviors and habits and routines are, are probably causing the, uh, the issue. Yeah, there, and right? I, I, I talked about this with Jeremy too. The thing is like I am not the example of someone eating great. I like to eat pizzas yeah. and, and I like to, I like to eat, eat, eat some good food. So I've found Mm -hmm. that from a hormone optimization standpoint, from a health standpoint, the cardio has made by far the biggest difference compared to diet. I've I've cleaned up diet, eaten tons of beef and all that, and really made a perfect diet. Worked with, you know, nutritionists on that. And the blood work difference was Mm -hmm. hardly anything. But simply adding in an extensive amount of cardio, my blood work was 100 times better. So I think cardio is like the yeah. missing key that everyone needs to be doing. Cardio is the, is the key. That will make all of your hormones much more efficient. You'll feel better. Your blood pressure will go down. Resting heart rate will go down. Your body will function better. That's what everybody needs to get in on. That's the key. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just know that I just feel better when I'm, when I am constantly moving. That's why I'm not a big fan of uh, like total rest days. You know, I've always just felt like I could I could do something. I could go on a hike or a walk or, you know, something. But I just feel like the more I can keep my body moving, my body just feels and responds better, recovers faster, all of that. And, yeah, just adding in cardio, uh, the days I, I'm not running, I just I do feel like a little heavier a little bit. I mean, it's, it's in your head a little bit, right? But you just feel a little more bloated. You feel a little heavier and a little more bogged down. It, it, it definitely does something much more than what's you know externally i guess presented as the benefits well, okay so how old are you right now have you have you gotten labs done blood work and yeah. stuff yes i actually have yeah when i was going to tell you um let me let me pull okay, up pull up go. mine real quick oh that was the other thing i was gonna i was gonna bring up was uh i think it, i must have talked to him after we talked but um there's this company out in denver i think you you're associated with a company that does something similar but basically that helps kind of get lab results makes it easier for men and so forth to uh to kind of get these done and uh when i went through him but he when, when he was on my podcast we were talking about it and yeah microplastics i think uh you mentioned tap water i've been off tap water for freaking years because one i think it tastes like shit two uh for coffee i uh like the better, but the better water source, obviously, I mean, coffee is like 90% water or if not more than that. So like you want to have good, good quality water. Um, 
So that's like another reason I've always used a filter. Is there a specific reason why reverse osmosis is is better or different than let's say uh, like the fridge filter I have in my uh, yeah GE fridge? From downstairs? what I understand, it's just a lot more thorough. Like it just does a far better job of actually filtering out ninety nine percent of the contaminants. So that's the main thing where I've heard like the fridge filters and even the brittle ones that go um, on top of the filter or on top mm -hmm. of the the faucet. They're just not as thorough as the ones under the sink that you really got to install. They do a much more efficient job. That That's supposedly, I don't know a tremendous amount, amount about it, but that's the difference. It's just a little mm -hmm. more. Um, I'll have to get a water Yeah, I know. I'd be curious to hear. <laughs> a brief thank you to today's sponsor, ProHealth. Are you looking to improve your overall health and longevity? Then it's time to consider NMN, a well-known compound that promotes longevity and supports health. NMN can enhance cellular health, promote DNA repair, and increase NAD plus levels in your body by 38%. So what does all that mean? Well, simply put, it has the potential to help you live a healthier and longer life. So don't wait. Get your NMN now at ProHealth.com. And why ProHealth? ProHealth's NMN is the highest quality, most pure, and most potent NMN in the world. And it's the only NMN proven to boost NAD plus in a double-blind, placebo-controlled, peer-reviewed clinical study. Remember to trust ProHealth.com for all your NMN and supplement needs. All right, so I got I got this, uh, and we could I, I didn't get like a complete like super comprehensive uh, panel, but I do have a ton of markers. So we could also run through a few other things that uh, you think are, are important to look for in blood work. But as far as tests, five fifty nine um, test thirteen point one uh, is like free oh, direct. I, think if you're, I don't know if it's because your address might be on there or whatever, but if you shared the screen, that might. But we can do it this way too. Oh. No, I can, I can, I can, uh, I don't know if I can share the, you know, what I can do is I can text you a screenshot. Yeah, okay, so 559 nanograms per deciliter was your total testosterone? That's solid. That's yes. a really good range. I mean, the thing is, generally, what I want to see is I want to see everybody above 500, okay? So if you are above 500, mm -hmm. you're in a good spot. You're going to feel good. You're going to perform well. You're going to be able to get strong. You're going to have a normal libido. Everything's going to be you know optimal i have seen which i mm -hmm. and people never believe this stuff but i've seen so many blood panels over the years it is a thing i've seen natural people with test levels of 800 900 even it's possible yeah. guys so it doesn't automatically mean that someone has an 800 900 level they're on steroids or they're taking tests i don't think that's the case mm -hmm. now if we get much above 900 i think yeah it's probably very suspicious but i have seen it so, but 559 is, is a perfect level. That's kind of what I would aim to be at. I texted uh, over okay. to you, by the you way. You texted it to me? If you wanted to okay, look at that sucker. So, yeah, if you wanted to look at that sucker. But um, uh, but in the meantime, while you, look, while you look at it, I can say, so the interesting thing, though, and this is no knock on, on the company. I think this is just any doctor in general and just how the industry is moving. But, you know, like you mentioned, that's a healthy range. It's not high. It's not low. It's like kind of right mid-range. And it's just interesting, though, when I got on the consult with the doctor, he was like, yeah, this, you know, looks like it's in a healthy range. But, uh, you know, the range is pretty wide. Uh, what we usually try to look at is like symptoms, and uh, which I think is helpful to look at. But it kind of gave me like the opening to say, hey, prescribe me test. <laughs> you know? That's definitely a thing. Doctors are much more willing to do so. These days, now, I, honestly, guys, <laughs> here's the problem with this. You would want to get multiple panels done. So here's what I would say. If you really are thinking about going on testosterone, get a panel done once a month for three months because you can't go off one panel. Yeah. It's going to fluctuate. Hormones fluctuate. No. You have to yeah. be fasted as well, guys. So if you're getting blood work done, you have to be fasted. Mm -hmm. You have to get it done between 8 and 10 a.m. for optimal results. That's when testosterone is going to be normal fasted at least 10 hours 8 to 10 a.m is when you got to do it um don't run before and don't train before and all those things are going to make a difference but if you are you know at least at 500 there's no way you should be looking at trt that's that's and you were at 13 exactly. <laughs> a 13 nanogram per deciliter free testosterone you said yeah that's yeah which i don't, I don't know what uh if that's great or it looks mid-range on here. Well, here's the thing, the thing we'd see. Okay, so if someone's on testosterone supplementation, their free testosterone is going to be much higher than someone who's natural. That's a big difference. So the actual, the total testosterone number might not be that much higher, 
But the free testosterone number, if that's really high, that's generally a dead giveaway that they are supplementing with actual testosterone injections. Mm. Because naturally, your free testosterone is going to be uh, in that more normal sub-20 range. So where you're at, mine was like 5. Mm. Mine was terrible. But 13 is about right. That's a good spot. Uh, one way, free testosterone mm. is supposedly, it's like what you can utilize, what you can get, use to get stronger what's unbound in the body. Mm -hmm. So one way you can kind of raise that is to lower SHBG, sex hormone binding globulin, through boron supplementation. So this is where, you know, maybe you could add in 10 milligrams of boron to bring down the SHBG and bring up the free testosterone. But I don't know what your SHBG was at. That's just one thing that you can possibly do. So it looks like your glucose is 94. Was that fasted? Uh, yes, yes. So I fasted for this, and I did it in the morning. I think it was maybe 8 or okay, 9. Okay, well, actually, so I should say your SHBG is here. It's 29, which that's about what mine was. Oh, yeah. That's a normal. You could lower it a little bit with boron, which may raise the free test, but honestly, it's not going to make a huge difference. Estradiol 26 is perfect. Um, anywhere mm -hmm. as far as estrogen, you don't want it too low. If estrogen gets too low, Again, going to kill your libido. It's going to make you feel terrible. Your joints are going to ache. So I'd want to see estradiol between 20 and like 50, and you're at 26. That's perfect. Mm -hmm. um, but your glucose a little high, 94 for fasted. I generally would want to see glucose below 90. Uh, so maybe there's a little, yeah. a smidge of insulin, sense, uh, insulin resistance there, but I'd have to see your A1C and your insulin. So those are two biomarkers. Yeah, hemoglobin uh, yes. A1C, is that what you're looking for? Hemoglobin A1C? Yeah, it's 5.5. Okay, so there's here's the thing with you. There's a smidge of insulin resistance. A smidge. Not not like <laughs> I'm not telling you stress out and freak out, but like there's a little bit of insulin resistance going on. I don't know. That could be genetic partially. Mm -hmm. um, if Have you had like a 23andMe done? I okay, have. I'd be curious. But no one in my family has any kind of uh, Nothing related. diabetes. At least not not type one. That's really interesting because cardio is the biggest thing to lower that and bring up the insulin uh, sensitivity. Now, one thing I'd want to see you get checked. It's an eleven dollar test. That's it. So, guys, this stuff isn't even that expensive. But an eleven dollar test would be insulin. We would check actual insulin, and that's the most important one. I'd want that below ten, ideally closer to five. But your A one C and glucose, it's a smidge high for where I'd like it. It's not out of the normal range. The reference range that is but i would like to see a1c closer to like 5.3 5.2 or lower and then i'd like to see glucose below 90 or at 94. so ideally 80 80 to 85 with glucose and then a1c 5 to 5.2 you know that'd be that'd be a little better now your kidney functions which are your bun and creatinine they're 100 normal no issues there uh those those are kind of going to go up so depending on how much muscle mass you have, creatinine, that can go up with more muscle mass. BUN can go up with more protein consumption. So cystatin C. What the, the uh, yeah, well, I was going to say what the uh, the consult mentioned was, um, I think it was that AG ratio. And, and particularly he was kind of recommending vitamin E um, for that. I forgot exactly what it was. I think it was something with the liver yes. maybe is the function of it. You know, yeah. what's interesting with that is my age, A to G ratio is con, you know, chronically out of whack, too. It's a little off, where it's a little higher than yours, even. Mm -hmm. um, and that is liver-related, but it's also somewhat genetic. There can be a thing where there's... That's what it, he said. So it's not, yeah. that's not a huge thing to worry about. The A to G ratio is, is small beans. Like, that's not something I would stress over at all. I did not know about the vitamin E thing, so that that's kind of mm -hmm. interesting. Um your AST and ALT, those are more important as far as the liver. Those are the liver enzymes that show the stress that the liver's under. So the higher those go, the more stress the liver's under. They're going to go up a little from training. So 40, 34, I'm not worried about at all. That's completely normal if you're training at all as far as running, lifting, that sort of thing. That looks, that looks mm -hmm. pretty good. Um, the lower, the better with those. You can take Tudka to lower them. That's the best liver protectant. And acetylcysteine as well. But there's nothing to really worry about there. I mean, overall, this panel, everything looks good. I just would like to see the insulin sensitivity a little higher, the insulin resistance a little lower. Where was the 
Well, where was the page with the the A1C on it? Can you send me that one? Yeah, let me send you that one as well. Um, But as far as another thing, while while I uh, send this guy over, so another interesting uh, question I'd ask you is uh, because I was wondering, okay, how how do people kind of boost that that natural test besides testosterone? And what uh, the guy who owns this company was was referencing is sometimes they find that people are are a good candidate. For they're used like a Clomid, which I'm, you know, very familiar with as as a PCT for a lot of people for bodybuilders, powerlifters, and so forth. Um, have you ever seen people use that to try and boost their natural? Yes, level? I've seen it done. I wouldn't do it. I mean, I don't. Here's the thing, honestly, if you're using testosterone or HCG or clomiphene citrate, Clomid, I don't view those as natural anymore. Like the true natural testosterone boosters mm-hmm. are the Tonkatali, the Fidelia agrestis, Boron ashwagandha but you probably shouldn't take that because it can you know well let me how do i phrase this it can make it to where you're not as um receptive to dopamine and such or and serotonin so i wouldn't i wouldn't do that one but i have seen guys clomid will raise it it's just there are some issues where it's kind of uh it can be stressful on the eyes on the eyesight it can cause eye problems over time Mm -hmm. so that's one of the dangers with it um, so there, there's there's stuff that can be a risk with any of this, but I wouldn't recommend Clomid for that reason, especially for long-term use. Um, I would look into more of the herbal, Tonkatali, Fidelia, Agrestis type stuff if you're going to go down that route. Because I, I really wouldn't consider someone on Clomid natural anymore. I've seen guys take low Clomid dose either, and they yeah. have testosterone level of 1,300. Well, I've always thought of it this way. It's like if something is working that strong, then a there's going to be side effects and b it's probably not natural like if it's working that good you know i've seen i've seen someone on a very low dose of clomiphene take their test level from 650 naturally to 1300 like is that really is that is that natural God guys knows. yeah no. like come on that's not that's no if you're above a thousand <laughs> test level that's not natural it's not a thing okay this no. one's interesting your cbc complete blood count so what I like about this is okay. you have a, a pretty high hemoglobin and hematocrit, which is your red blood cells, basically. And that's from living at altitude. That's pretty cool. So that that's a boost, yeah, man. That's sure. that's big. Yeah. That's like I couldn't get to those levels probably. <laughs> the cheat code. I would, have to, I would have to take testosterone. Like on testosterone, my hematocrit would be like 51. You're at like 49 without it mm-hmm. because you have that altitude boosting effect. This is that that performance enhancer for endurance athletes at altitude. Well, I'm still slow but, as shit. No, you, I, <laughs> dude, I, I still. That's, I know what you're saying. You're not that slow, but this is this is pretty cool though because you have a high <laughs> level there where you get that that oxygen boost from altitude. That's what that is right there. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. Um, let's see what else. Everything looks fairly good. You know, all of this is like white blood cells. That's your neutrophils, lymphocytes, all that kind of stuff. No allergy issues. So if you have allergy issues, your eosinophils would be high, and we're not seeing anything there. So mm-hmm. if you guys want to know if you are if you have a lot of allergy issues, eosinophils, that's what's going to show up on your blood work. Now, interestingly enough, so as far your no, go ahead. LH, your luteinizing hormone, is quite low, so... If you took something like a Fidelia agrestis, theoretically your testosterone levels could go up quite a bit because you have more potential to get them higher with your luteinizing hormone levels that low. Luteinizing hormone is the precursor to testosterone production. So with your luteinizing hormone at 2.1, hmm. let's say we bump that to like 5 off Fidelia agrestis, that could theoretically raise those testosterone levels a lot higher. Let's run it. <laughs> um, as far as blood work, what, uh, how often should should the average person be doing it, checking on it, and what should they be looking for? What kind of what kind of panel should they okay, be getting? My rule of thumb: every three to four months. I do one more extensive panel a year where I check a lot more stuff, but you don't need to do it that often. And then I'll do like a lesser panel every mm-hmm. three to four months. Now the main things I would look. I would do testosterone if you're if you're a male. That's that's kind of one of the things you want to see. Now I would use the mm-hmm. LC slash MS scale for testosterone. You're gonna to have to pay a little more for that one, but it's gonna be far more accurate than the standard, um, the standard measurement for testosterone. So you'll see standard measurement, 
LCMS. LCMS is the most accurate. I would get that checked. Check your luteinizing hormone, LH, and your follicle-stimulating hormone, FSH, to see the, the two precursors, LH for testosterone production, FSH for sperm production. Check those. Um, I would check CBC for sure, complete blood count. That's going to show red blood cells, white blood cells. Very cheap. It costs like 8 bucks. Uh, CMP, complete mm-hmm. metabolic panel. That's also like 8 bucks. There's no reason not to check it. That's going to show liver functions, kidney functions, that sort of stuff. And then I would do my big three. Insulin is, is even more of an important marker than A1C and glucose as far as your insulin sensitivity. So to be as, as healthy as possible, we want to be as insulin sensitive as possible. And we want to be mm-hmm. as not insulin resistant. We don't want to be that at all. So they're opposite. If insulin resistance is high, mm-hmm. um, insulin sensitivity is low. If insulin sensitivity is high, insulin resistance is low. So we want to be insulin sensitivity, insulin sensitive. Check insulin. That's an $11 test. Apolipoprotein B, that's like 18 bucks. That's going to be the most accurate measure of your cardiac health at that point in time. Nothing's going to show it like a CT scan, mm-hmm. uh, cardiac imaging of your heart, but you can show, you know, plaque accumulation, plaque buildup, how that's going with apolipoprotein B. It's a much more accurate indicator than LDL and HDL and all that sort of stuff. That's kind of outdated now. If you want to get that checked, I would check C-reactive protein. It's like a $20 test. So none of this is that expensive. That'll check systemic inflammation. So obviously, if there's a lot of inflammation in your body, things are going to be out of whack. You're going to be unhealthy. We want that as low as possible. And then I would check, obviously, like thyroid, TSH, to see how efficient that is. And then iron. Check iron, especially if you're an endurance athlete. You want to make sure you're not anemic, Mm -hmm. and that would affect your performance with the low red blood cells. So for you, that's definitely probably not a thing Mm -hmm. based on what I saw with your red blood cells. But a lot of people would want to look into that to where they want to see if they need iron supplementation. Those are the main things. Yeah. So what I love is this is not only uh, great information, but it's perfectly articulated the point that I like to drive home a lot personally, but in other areas of life too, is self-education and and being able to to acknowledge like, hey, I didn't go to school for this. I'm not a uh, formalized, credentialed expert in something, but I can learn an absolute fuck ton on my own with with youtube with with different studies and and learn a lot of this stuff for free there's so much free information out there so all that to say um where did you kind of start learning this stuff and where would you recommend people go to as a resource of of understanding what they're looking at on a panel much better? yeah so i would say the journey as far as going down this rabbit hole started three years ago um even a little before I came off testosterone and PEDs, I was starting to become more interested in health. I saw people dying, and that, that led me down this rabbit hole. I also had this issue where I was, like, peeing blood for, like, two years. Because uh, not all the time, but it was off and on from kidney stones. So I didn't know. I thought it maybe was some kind of cancer. Who mm. knows? So I just became obsessed with Wrapped blood work. Or something. Checked yeah. everything to make sure it wasn't cancer. Went in, got a CT scan done to look for cancer, that sort of stuff. It was just kidney stones. But um, Leo and Longevity, so that was a buddy of mine, big YouTube channel. He uh, he taught me a lot early on, and he di- he actually passed away, which is a whole different story because he got, like, murdered in Thailand. But he was this crazy story. But he uh, he taught me a lot. I mean, he taught me about, you know, checking into DNA as far as uh, genetic predispositions, um, just I went down such a deep rabbit hole as far as learning all this. There's like, it's, it's hard to explain. There's synapses that literally show your predisposition to Alzheimer's and, and heart attacks and all this sort of mm-hmm. stuff. There's different sequences and such. And I, I looked into that and I learned from him a lot. I learned from uh, Peter Atiyah is a great one right now. He's very mm-hmm. popular. Yeah, he's awesome. He has... A lot of good information as far as lipids, heart health, um, you know, VO2 max he talks about all the time as far as that goes. And that's role that, that role mm-hmm. in health. He, he's one of the main people I'd look into. Huberman's got some good stuff as well. Uh, those are kind of the, the main two guys I would look at uh, as far as learning stuff. Because you can just go 
go to their podcast, listen to stuff all day long. But I was mainly taught, Leo taught mm-hmm. me a lot of stuff. Gotcha. So last question, I guess, to wrap up on PEDs, on hormones and so forth. What is your, I guess, message to the youth upcoming athletes that are potentially very short-sighted with PED use? They're looking at it like, man, all my peers are getting jacked as hell, strong as hell. This person on TikTok just ripped 800 um, or this person's competing. They they look fine. They're, they're using SARMs and having a good time. What is your message or, or your points of reflection for them to think before perusing down this uh, journey? Yeah, it's, it's tough because I don't want to come across ever as hypocritical because obviously I went down that, that path now. So I try to tell yeah. people, I'm like, you know, that's a personal decision. But if you're going to do it, get that base first, wait a little longer, like I would say 25 minimum. That's when you would maybe start thinking, I want to go down that rabbit hole. But it's... Um, mm-hmm. And I would have done it a lot smarter. I wouldn't have taken such extreme doses or such extreme compounds. I would have done the blood work all throughout that time and at least been aware of my health and kept my blood pressure down, taking an ARB. So I'm not, I don't take any medication anymore. I don't need it because I'm just living a good lifestyle. But if I were on anabolic steroids, I would take um, an ARB for blood pressure to combat the symptoms. I would, I would try to keep my my lipids in check. I would try to stay insulin sensitive. I would do cardio. So there's a lot of uh, management mm-hmm. things you can do to mitigate the damage. And I know like guys are going to do it. You can never mm-hmm. talk someone out of it. If a kid wants to do it, he's going to do yeah. it. So it's it's all about managing the risk, risk management, have an exit plan. Mm-hmm. Say to yourself, you know, when I turn 30, I got to get out of this. Like for me, that was 29. Um, if I kept going down the path I went down, I probably would end up dead too at some point, whether that's 50 or whether that's even, you know, 45, I don't know, but it's a destructive mm-hmm. path if you don't take care of your health. So at some point you have to wise up and, and you can't roll the dice anymore. And that's just, uh, I've seen too many people continue on that path to where it actually kills them. And I didn't want to end up like that. I was like, I'm not going to be one of these fitness industry people who dies at, at 30. I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Um, so you got to kind of take the bull by the horns and get after it and, and look, be proactive about your health. That's the key. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. The exit plan and, and mitigating risk. And also, like you mentioned, like just realizing that there's more to life than just the, the two hours you spend at the gym or the competition coming up, that there is, you know, there is an afterlife. Yes. There is something, you know, later in life to look forward to a family, to have a daughter, to have, uh, one, one topic I want to, kind of round out this podcast with that uh i know you talked about uh with uh dave tate a little bit recently uh is uh your dog lucy passing away and i I just wanted to ask because i know that was that was really hard for you and i'm i'm very much especially you know i I grew up with family dogs and of course they passed away and that would hit me in in a you know negative way as well be somber and so forth but i noticed that raising these two dogs I have now myself, like the attachment to them is a lot stronger when you're raising them and feeding them and doing everything with them versus your parents are taking care of the dog. And, uh, so I, I would love to get your insights on not just how hard that was, but what, what kind of takeaways or lessons did you kind of grapple with and come out of the other side with, uh, from the Yes. The thing with, with Lucy, it's been about a month now. And that first week was brutal. I'm kind of in a better, much better place now. We have two dogs, or we had two dogs. Lucy was one of them. We still have one, Atlas. She's like a six-year-old Belgian Malinois. But Lucy, mm-hmm. I adopted from the shelter when she was two. Um, she passed away at eight and a half, basically. So she came up with me when I was living alone in my apartment. She'd sleep in the, the bed next to my legs. Um, you know, we were inseparable mm-hmm. as far as that that goes and and I walked her all the time and all that sort of stuff and then I moved in with my wife we got married all that and uh you know I had her for six and a half years so many memories but one of the one of the things that like is tough about this because she died of kidney failure basically so what I think happened Mm -hmm. um I think she got bitten by a tick at some point and she got Lyme disease so I didn't know she had Lyme disease Mm. And they, she tested positive for it when we took her in. I took her in like twice at the at the very end because 
I took her to the vet, and I was waiting for the blood results mm-hmm. on that, which dog blood results are like the exact same as humans, actually. So you can, I can know by her blood work, based on my own, what's what's off. It's the exact same stuff. So I took her in. I was waiting mm-hmm. on that. She deteriorated over the weekend. I took her to the animal ER. They did blood work where they get it back instantly. I saw the markers. Um, so you can kind of mm-hmm. understand this. Your creatinine for your kidneys was 1.16. The lower, the better with that. Her creatinine was 12, like 12, 12 times mm-hmm. higher than yours. So that shows complete kidney failure, like you're done. Um, so I saw this kidney failure, which happens. It's it's somewhat of a reaction from Lyme disease. Like you're, 5% of dogs have uh, an autoimmune reaction where the kidneys are attacked through the Lyme disease, whatever. So I'm getting off on a tangent here, but that's how she passed away. <laughs> But basically, I was like, I thought she would live much longer. I thought I had a lot more time with her, another four to six years at least. Maybe she'd make it to 15. And, you know, there were Mm -hmm. other plans. Like, she passed away at eight and a half like this. Like, I didn't have any preparation. It was just boom. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just took it for granted all the time where I thought I had so much more time with her. I thought there was so much more time. I wasn't in a rush necessarily to spend as much time as I should have with her. Or, or take her on as many walks because I'm like, we got tons of time, you know? I had my daughter that, that kind of made things busier. And then I just felt terrible because I was like, I didn't mm-hmm. know that was it. I thought we had a lot more time to write and a lot more chapters to write and all that. So it's like the idea of you don't mm-hmm. know when, when, when your time's coming or when your loved one's time is coming. And, and you've got to make the most of each day and each moment. So it really made it to where I try to spend more time every day with my daughter, 15 months old, where I'm like, She's gonna grow up like that. I gotta take advantage yeah. of this time. I was, I was, yeah. I was just about to compare it to your daughter and wonder, yeah, how you view some of those, let's say, stressful or uh, annoying moments, maybe in a different, under a different light, you know, under a different lens, um, with with this experience. And and one thing I wonder too, I'd like to get your perspective, and we can kind of digress a bit on it, is uh, the concept of taking something for granted because. Sometimes I wonder, no matter, even if you were there, like, for example, when, when a loved one passed away, right, and let's say you're, you're there for them at the hospital every day, you know, my, my grandma on my dad's side passed away, um, basically, at like, the beginning of the pandemic and so forth, and she was, she was declining from dementia and so forth anyway, but my dad was there basically every week, every chance he could get off from work, he was going there, and you know, you're doing all this, so you don't have the regret of like, hey, I could have been there, you know, because you were, or maybe you took the time. But I still wonder if you always have that longing, like, I didn't get enough time, I could have done more. Like, even, obviously, there are instances where if you neglected a person or a pet, and then they pass away, you can easily point the finger at yourself. But I wonder if you always will have that sense of of uh, emptiness, because it got, yeah, just like the rug got pulled out from under you. I think that's true. I think that's always going to be the case, no matter what. But at the same time, it kind of is like a realization mm-hmm. where, you know, the things we do regret, it's cliche, everyone's heard it, but you regret not spending time with, with those around you or with your loved ones, not mm-hmm. taking advantage of that time. Um, and I think we just, we get so caught up in the day-to-day that we lose sight of this. Because we're always just doing like passive things during the day, we're not really thinking about, mm-hmm. uh, you know, maximizing our time. We're just living kind of passively. So I've tried to live less passively, and and it does make uh, there's a sense of urgency as far as I need to chase my goals. I need to do things that are productive for my health. I need to spend time with the, my loved ones. Mm-hmm. So there's there's you need to live with that urgency where it's like, you know, the clock is ticking. I need to do things that are going to put me in the position of where I want to be, and and not be so passive basically so i've tried to do a better job with that yeah Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's definitely a reflection point where uh you know ideally you don't need something so tragic to to trigger that but a point of uh greater awareness of like where are you spending your time you're putting a lot of time into uh you know scrolling on tiktok or scrolling on instagram is that extra hour a day would you rather, if you look back, would you rather spend that hour with your dog or your or your daughter or your spouse, or would you rather spend that uh, on Instagram? Because right now your actions say that you value that time with your phone more than you do your dog or more than you do whoever. 
you know, and, and the same can be with, you know, a job you hate. You know, if you're spending 40 hours a week at a job that is life-sucking, uh, does the income really matter? You know, does it really matter if, if at the end of the day, if after 40 years you look back and go, wow, I spent like a fourth of my life at this building that uh, drained the life out of me, you know? Um, so, yeah, it's just, I think it is just important the more people can kind of get that point of reflection of awareness. I think the pandemic did that a lot for people where everything got put on pause and people can can really sit back and, and kind of get out of the driver's seat for once and, uh, yeah, just realize what, what trajectory their lives head on, take more responsibility and have more, like you said, like live a more active life rather than passive. I think, too, one thing that helps me do that is having like a major goal to where I'm doing something every day to train towards mm -hmm. that. It, that. That amplifies your work ethic, amplifies being dialed in on a day-to-day -day basis, being more efficient, more urgent. So for me, it's like always having somewhat of a goal mm -hmm. has helped kind of hone in on the more important things around me. Um, because otherwise you get lazy and then you just are kind of like going through the motions. But when you have like a, a very exciting goal, like for you that 50 miler, you're like, this is a massive mm -hmm. goal. That, that gets you excited, that kind of dials you in because you're like, I got yeah. to be efficient. I got to get this done. I can't slack. Well, I was going to ask, it sounds like, and, and maybe this has changed more in your life more in recent years, but it sounds like to me the difference is like having an experiential goal, like having a goal that's centered around an experience and a memory and fulfillment rather than a material goal. Because I think most people have goals, but their goals are you know, buying that vacation to Italy or it's getting that next house or whatever. But I think it's the experience goals that give us greater sense of urgency and fulfillment. Um, if that no, makes I would sense. 100% agree with that. Like who doesn't want to be wealthy or whatever? Sure. But it's so superficial. Like it's truly, you're not going to be, you know, at the end of your time and be like, wow, that was, you know, I have all this money or whatever. It's, it's cliche. Everybody knows it, mm -hmm. but it's hard to tell yourself that. But I think really like pursuing mm -hmm. your passions and going after these goals, you find out who you are. You find out, I know with running, the thing that's appealing to it for me is it's like I kind of find out who I am. I, I go through my own head. I can explore all mm -hmm. these tunnels in my, in my brain and like figure out what I'm trying to do with my life and what's important. And it's that time. I, you know, I don't listen to music when I run because I'm like dialing into all these thoughts. And that... I find out what I'm capable of. Like, that's what the appeal is. It's like doing something that hard. You face a lot of demons along the way, and you have to battle through it, and you mm -hmm. find out what you're made of. And it's just that that's the, the great appeal of it all. Pete, where can people find YouTube, you? YouTube, type my name in. Simple as that. Same with Instagram. Just type my name in, Pete Rubish. Yeah, you have a pretty unique name, and you definitely, if there is someone with the same name, you kind of dominate the uh, the space. Yeah, we're good to go. So. There's not too many rubishes <laughs> It's out pretty there. easy to find you. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, guys, if you enjoyed the podcast, please uh, share it with a friend. Uh, make sure you subscribe to the show. Check out Pete and all the great stuff he's putting out there. Cheer him on. I know he's got some big plans uh, throughout the end of this year and also heading into next year. So make sure you follow along that journey, and uh, we'll catch you guys on the next one.